Good morning. Uh, Skaties this Friday night, 12. It's a, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. It's a privilege to introduce our speaker for this morning, Pastor Scott Brown. Um, he and his wife, Becky, uh, planted New Valley Church in Phoenix, Arizona uh, 20 years ago. So he's been senior pastor there for 20 years. Um, but I think we, I know him best as the dad of Duke Walt Jr., Carter, and Zachary Brown. So please give a warm Scott's welcome to Pastor Scott Brown. Hey, good morning, coming to college. It's so good to be with you guys. Um, my wife and I, uh, we love you. I know I don't know hardly any of you, but uh, we have a, a profound appreciation for this place, and it's a, a true honor uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, a few passages in there. It's uh, kind of the goats of the faith. And we're going to be talking about uh, having a, a foundational faith. Um, we're all looking for foundations in this life. Uh, we're all looking for stability. We need something upon which we can stand. And obviously, as Christians, we look to the gospel to be our foundation. But the reality is, we need the gospel to become reasonable, more and more reasonable to our mind so that we love God with our mind, but also we need our faith to touch our heart. It has to become personal as well. So we're going to see that we need, uh, we need our faith to be reasonable, we need our faith to be personal, and we need our faith ultimately to be our foundation. So Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then in verse 8, it says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is the word of the Lord. So, in the classic movie, um, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, there, how many of you... This, is, this, this was way before my time, by the way, but how many of you have seen Miracle on 34th Street? All right, good, a few of you. So this character in the movie says this, faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to believe it. And, and this quote, I think, encapsulates a presupposition that many hold without fully realizing that they believe it. That there's this idea that there really is actually no good reason to believe at all, but you should just believe it anyway. Faith, faith isn't merely reasonable or a matter of reason, but it is reasonable. Uh, I became a Christian in high school, and honestly, my first faith uh, first came to me out of experience, and I really hadn't thought much about why I believe what I believe. Uh, and then I went to Purdue University, and to be honest, after the end of that first year, my faith was beginning to be rocked, and I, I started to ask myself, is there actually any good actual reason to believe that this is true? And I happened upon the great book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and I read it for, for the first time that summer 
and, and it was the first time that I heard anyone make an explanation that why the Christian faith is actually reasonable, why there's good reason to believe it's true. In chapter 11, verse 3 of what we just read, it says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. And the word understand literally means to use your mind or to comprehend or to think through or to reason. Uh, in raising our sons, I would tell them all the time, never shy away from asking questions about God, about faith, about theology. Don't only believe this because I'm telling you it's true. Think it through. Ask yourself, is it reasonable? And one of the reasons I love Covenant College so much this is a place where you can use your mind, and it's an authentic place where you can ask tough questions, where you can really probe whether you can believe or have reason to believe why you believe. Francis Crick was a British molecular biologist who played a significant role in figuring out the double helix nature of DNA, and he was an atheist. And in his book, uh, there's this book he wrote called The Astonishing Hypothesis, he offered a conclusion to his worldview that hardly anyone likes, but it is consistent with his worldview. He said this, you, all of you in this room today, your joys and your sorrows, your memories, your ambitions, your sense of personal identity, your free will, are no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. You are nothing but a pack of neurons. So Crick was saying consistently with his worldview that everything that makes you a human, your thoughts, your memories, your emotions, your loves, your sense of right and wrong, it's nothing more than chemicals and neurons that are here by chance. You are nothing but a chemistry set is what he's saying. Now the problem is this. No one actually lives as if this is true. Even the most ardent atheists in your life or in the world don't live as if this is true. When I'm talking to my atheist friends and agnostic friends, and I literally go on a walk every single day, like let's call it six days a week, in my neighborhood with my neighbor who is an ardent atheist. He thinks I am foolish for believing what I believe. So when I'm having conversations with him just about life, and, and when you're with any human being, after you catch up and like, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? It inevitably goes to like the biggest issues in your life or the issues in the world. And so when I'm with anyone that I know and love, it, it eventually goes to the issues of real life and what's happening in the world, issues of justice and of right and wrong. And when we go into those issues together in conversation, I've never had one of my agnostic or atheistic friends say, you know what, at the end of the day, this whole justice issue or this issue of abuse or this abuse of power, this thing that's going on in the world, none of it really matters because at the end of the day, we're really nothing more than a dumb old bag of neurons, right? They never say that. No, they, they say things like, this is wrong. This should be stopped. Uh, they, they, like us, they fall in love. They experience the thrills of romance, music, and art, and they feel the sting of loss and death. They feel cheated and robbed. They experience guilt and shame. But is that rational? 
And is that reasonable in light of their worldview that says the universe is meaningless at the end of the day? Tim Keller said, you see about this passage, the seen world, the observable world that we're living in helps you understand that there has to be an unseen world and the unseen world helps you make sense of the world you can see. There are laws written on our hearts that don't make sense if there is no meaning in the universe. As you journey in your life, your faith needs to become more and more reasonable. It has to make sense to your mind. Otherwise, why would you believe it? But it also has to be personal. Faith that moves you into a relationship has to go beyond the propositional right. It has to become personal, something that's for you. You have to know God yourself. God's call must come out to you personally. You must come to know Him. Step out in faith. We just read a passage about the father of faith, Abraham, who, who was living in safety and security, and God said, leave everything that's secure in your life and go. Go where? I'll show you later. And so, faith must be personal. It must come to you. And some of you need your faith to be more personal. Maybe it's a, too rational for you only. And some of you need a more rational faith, but ultimately what we're going to see today is that you need your faith to become more foundational. And this doesn't happen over life, over, over an instant. It happens over the period of your life. It's a journey, right? Uh, many of you were raised in Christian homes, and, and you believe and yet you don't believe. You know, welcome to the club. And yet you're on this journey of life where, where you're walking with God, and, and what everyone who is pouring into your life, your professors, your pastors, your parents, the people that love you, your friends, with the hope that your faith will be increasingly become more foundational for you. And I wish that there was just a magic wand that we could all wave over one another and just make us have our faith foundational, but that's not how life is. We learn to trust God. We learn to, to understand that He's faithful, and, and then He becomes more and more of our foundation. Abram was a native of Ur, you know, which was a part of Mesopotamia. And for, forever, I kind of thought of Abraham as, as the guy that just always was nomadic, always lived in tents, but the reality is he lived in a city among uh, one of the most first civilizations in, all, in the entire world, in Ur. And according to archaeologists, it was a major port city in an urban center located on the Persian Gulf. And it was from this seaside village that God called Abraham to go. And so after living in a city, and even in a house, by the seaside, he was called to go out and to live in this nomadic existence. And, and for the rest of his life, living in a tent. Um, when I was younger, even a younger father, I used to love tent camping. Uh, and then we discovered house camping, uh, like a cabin. <laughs> and, and it's way better. Cabins are way, way better. And I, I am, I'm really more indoorsy probably than outdoorsy, but when we're being outdoorsy, I like to have a place where we can go back and like, you know, have a restroom and uh, have a kitchen and, you know, a house basically. And so it was hard for Abraham to leave a, a, a place that he lived that literally had a foundation and then to move out and to live in a tent for the rest of his life 
having to live only on promises, but having no literal foundation in this world, but a foundation only in God. In Ur, Abraham, what felt like to him, he had what felt like to him an amazing foundation. He had extended family. He had friends. He had a house. He had a city. And then God called him into the unknown. From something with a foundation to something without a foundation. When, when we brought our dog Josie home uh, as a baby uh, <laughs> about a year and a half ago, and I should have, should have brought a picture because our dog Josie, she's a, a golden doodle. Yes, she is. Yeah, all right. She is the greatest dog I've ever had, and, and I, I kind of weirdly love this dog. And when we brought Josie home, uh, the breeder g- brought, w- gave us a little care pa- package to take her home with, and it included this very tiny little uh, blankie that was snipped up and then sewed up, but it had been in the crate with the rest of the litter and with her mom. And to this day, a year and a half later, she's chewed up every other thing we've ever given her, but this blanket uh, has not been chewed up, and she takes it with her wherever she goes in the house. If we're watching TV, she goes and gets her blanket and brings it to watch TV. When we go to bed, she gets her blanket and she goes to bed. It's literally her security blanket, right? It's her foundation. It's her precious. <laughs> God removed Abraham's security blanket and, and said, put your hope in a better foundation. And although it's one that you can't see and you can't carry with you upstairs to go to bed at night, it is a more firm foundation. Abraham came to have that kind of faith later in life, though. And if you study, the craziest thing about studying the Old Testament, if you see the Old Testament characters, you see how much they're like you and me. You see how dysfunctional they are. You see how messed up they are. You see that their families were dysfunctional and messed up. And yet God calls the likes of a person like Abraham and says, follow me and I will make you the father and the mother of a great nation. People just like you and me. And when Abraham was first called by God, he had all kinds of doubts and questions. He was constantly asking, why? And how can this be? I'm really old. She's really old. And yet God took them on this journey where they didn't believe, they didn't fully believe, but by the end of the journey, you see in Abraham's story, he begins to believe more and more, and his faith becomes more and more of a foundation for himself. And so be patient with yourself. But the reality is this, our prayer for you, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, really, is this, no matter how good a foundation you have in this life, and can we be honest, there are some good foundations. Some of you come from really good families, some of you come from really messy families, but there are good foundations in this life. There are good marriages to be had. My my marriage, I would say, is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me. It's an amazing foundation. I've been blessed with uh, three amazing sons, and, and we love each other profoundly, but it's not enough. No matter how great a foundation you may have in this life, as good as it may be, and there are great foundations in this life, they aren't enough. I recently saw on Instagram uh, a filter uh, that, that will be meaningless to you, but for like people my age, it's really cool because you can like filter yourself and you see in your face your 16-year-old version of yourself. 
So like old people like me, yeah, looking and you see it. And there's all these people like from my generation looking at this filter and, and they're having this huge emotional reaction by seeing their 16-year-old uh, self on, on, the, on the Instagram. <laughs> the Instagram. <laughs> my age, right? Okay. Your looks eventually fail you. You may have a great foundation right now, but the reality is uh, there will be some day where you will want to filter yourself and say, oh, look at how I used to look. Gravity eventually takes over. Your bodies fail you. Becky and I just went to Indiana this week to be with my parents, who are now 91 years old and 87, and their bodies once were strong. And, and my, my stepdad, in his late 80s, was able to play 18 holes of golf, and now he can barely breathe or walk. Your bodies fail you. Your looks fail you. We all, we all know that if you're single, you can experience longing and loneliness but what do you do when you're engaged and you still feel lonely or married? You know you can feel stressed if you don't know what your future holds. You're about to graduate or, or, like, or you're not making the grades that you thought you were going to make. But what if you're killing it in life? Like you've got it figured out and uh, you've got great grades and you've got an internship lined up for next summer and yet you still feel anxiety and depression. You, you know you can be anxious if you don't have enough money in life, but what if what if you're still anxious and worried about life and you have more money than you could possibly spend? Where do you go then? And what Hebrews is calling out to us to say is there is a greater foundation than all of these things. There has to be. It's built on God himself. So there's the, there's the three points. Our prayer for you is you're on a journey. And the journey for you, and for, it's not just you, it's all of us as human beings. Is, is for our faith to become more and more and more reasonable. You can use your mind and be a Christian. In fact, you must. And your faith needs to become more and more personal. God is alive in Jesus Christ. He's real. And he becomes more and more vivid and real to us as we walk with him. And then he becomes more and more a foundation for you. And because I have a few more minutes, there's a fourth, a fourth bonus point for you. It's all about grace, and you know that. You know that in your mind, but I'm not sure we know that in our hearts, do we? The gospel is all of grace. Have you seen TikTok Jesus? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say TikTok Jesus? So there's this channel. Some of you have not seen it. I'm really glad you, if you have not seen TikTok Jesus, you haven't seen it, because millions of people are following TikTok Jesus, and t TikTok Jesus is ridiculously white, which is ridiculous. Jesus was not white. TikTok Jesus uh, is Hollywood handsome, which is ridiculous because Jesus was a man of sorrows, and uh, I don't think he was necessarily like Brad Pitt good-looking, you know, but the TikTok Jesus is ridiculously good-looking, and, and it's really sad to me because people are responding to TikTok Jesus as if he's actually Jesus. They're saying things like, Lord, I believe and I trust you to, to this AI bot that is being run by who knows who, right? Making money because all these millions of people are watching these videos. TikTok Jesus offers comfort and protection and financial blessing. And this is so sad because people are hurting out there. They need blessing. 
They need financial stability. They, feel, they need protection. Maybe that's how you feel. But TikTok Jesus comes along and says, I will bless you financially. In fact, there will be a blessing on your life within the next 24 hours if. Ah, it's conditional. I will bless you if you like my video and if you forward this to your friends. And then he offers curses and woe upon you if you don't. TikTok Jesus is transactional. <laughs> TikTok Jesus is conditional. And millions of people are like responding to this robot as if he's actually Jesus. And that breaks my heart. Jesus doesn't need us to like him. <laughs> he certainly doesn't have a video out, and he, he doesn't need us to forward his video. And thank God, Jesus isn't transactional. He's foundational. He's not conditional. He's foundational. Jesus is, the real Jesus of the Bible is calling out to us and saying that through my life, believe it or not, his life was as, as important as his death because he earned his, our righteousness in his life. Jesus is crying out to us, through my life and through my death and through my resurrection, I literally have done everything that is needed to redeem not just you, but including you, but everything that is broken, bent, or wrong in the entire universe. And it's all of grace. And all you need to do is come to me in repentance and faith and belief, even the smallest amount, even a mustard seed. And the thing that I want to appeal to you is be in, in, in light of how great, there are so many great foundations in this life, but no one has loved us like Jesus. There is no greater love. One of the greatest hymns ever, here's a line from it, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we're so grateful for Jesus, your Son, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we believe, O oh Lord, but there are so many ways, and yet we don't believe. And I pray that you would champion our hearts, overcome our doubts, break down all of our walls to trust you more and more and to make you our firm foundation because you indeed are the only thing in this universe that is worthy of that kind of trust. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.